Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Yeah, I read an interesting article uh, earlier this week, and it was from Psychology Today. And this is how they're so different, yet they're drawn to each other. And there's a whole explanation of why. Sometimes the active wives want to change the passive husbands or, or to be more like them. And there's a lot of this tension. But what I saw was this pattern of this active and passive individuals who are drawn to one another, not just in marriage relationships, but also in siblings, in cultures. So if you are just observe, it's not just the active, active, or passive, passive, passive. It's like there's always this complementary effect that I have seen within the communities, and especially like siblings. Um, they coming to have, you know, fellowship and meal, and Martha is busy getting ready, you know, cleaning the house, cooking, and getting it ready. And what is Mary doing? She is completely content at Jesus' feet, just listening. And the active Martha is like, Jesus, aren't you going to tell her? And Jesus points out, she's actually doing a good thing. And what she is doing, it will not be taken away from her. We recognize that even though the culture reveals that Marthas are successful. Believe me, we need the Marthas to get things done. I, I love Marthas because I can depend on them. Uh, and they get it done. We also recognize that Jesus said, the Marys are doing the good thing as well. The temptation for many of us, depending on if you're a Mary or a Martha, if you're a Mary, you might say, oh, being a Martha is too tiring. I, I'm totally content where I am. Some people. Whereas if you're a Martha, you can't comprehend. How could you be sitting down when there's so much task to be done? And, and so the temptation is, we swing the pendulum from one way to another. We think being Martha is more right than being a Mary, but if you're a Mary, no. <laughs> well, I was looking through the scripture, be a Mary and a Martha. People group, tribes, cultures can be a Mary or a Martha. So we're continuing in our series in the book of Joshua, and we see, we come to a, chapter 17 and 18, and we see how different tribes handled this inheritance, this uh, response of God's promise in their life. And I want to welcome you guys to not just look at what happened then, but to consider what can we learn, whether we are a Mary or a Martha. So join with me. Joshua 17, and because of so much details in the text, I would just highlight and give you a backdrop. Um, and oftentimes when I get into some narratives, I go to the NIV version just because it's easier to read. But sometimes when we're really doing the study, we go through the ESV, more uh, literal, word for word. So there's a context. It's good to know all to use for a different purpose. Joshua 17.5, Manasseh's share consisted of 10 tracts of land besides Gilead and Bashan, east of Jordan, because the daughters of the tribe of Manasseh received an inheritance among the sons, extended from Asher 
to make Methuseth. East of Shechem, the boundary ran southward from there to include the people living in Entapua. Okay. I must, I'm sure I messed up those names, but bear with me here. All right. So last week, when I looked at, when we looked at chapters 15 through 17, it was, if you read the, this is just one of those technical things, when the Bible talks about geography and landmarks, and you have never been there, it just, it goes right over, right? It's just not worth reading and to telling you, but it's easier to show a picture of the map. So I, I shared with you three words in real estate, location, location, location. And we shared last week how Judah received this big, abundant land, and they got the primo location in the southern border, protection, water, um, the hill country, fruitful. Even Jerusalem, one of the big cities that becomes a central location for the, the kingdom of Judah and the central uh, spiritual location, right? But then I also said, and they got that because what? The first three sons sort of gave it up because of their inappropriate act. Well, if you remember, Manasseh and Ephraim are the two sons of Joseph. Joseph got the big blessings. If you remember Joseph from Egypt, the prince of Egypt, he ruled and, and God just blessed them. And when the Bible says they were blessed, it was being fruitful and multiply, meaning they had a lot of kids. They had, that's what God says. You're blessed, you have a lot of kids. So they had a lot of kids. And here in this story, a historical account, it kind of explains why? Even in verse 6, it says that the Bible points out that even the daughters of Manasseh received portions of the inheritance. Did that take you by surprise? Because it's the sons who received the inheritance. Well, what happened? Well, there is a great-grandson of Manasseh. His name was Zelophehad. I think so. Zelophehad. And he died without having sons. He had a lot of daughters but he had no sons. And so the daughters went to Moses in Numbers 27, and he goes, it's not fair. Hey, we are all daughters. Should our tribe, should our people lose out on the promised land inheritance just because we're female? As daughters are always right. <laughs> Bible doesn't say that. I have five sisters. They've told me that. <laughs> daughters are always right. So daughters... Go to the Lord, and the Lord says, they're right. And so from that response, God puts a law. If the son had died, then who gets the inheritance? If they had died, who gets that? It's like the uncles, the brothers. There's a whole thing. So if, the lesson here is, ladies, if you think you're getting gypped just because you're a female, <laughs> go to the Lord. No, really. Amen. I'm serious. It's like, biased against women. No. There has been poor interpretations of the scripture that has been cultural, but if we look at the whole scripture, God is just and he's loving. He loves women. He wants to honor them. And there has been some cultural kind of merging that has oppressed women, but that's not God. And so the, when the daughters went to the Lord, the Lord said, you're right. I will give you the inheritance because you are deserving. You are my 
daughters, and I will share. So that's what Numbers 27 says. They're part of the Manasseh. They're getting everything, right? Joshua 17, 12, it says, Yet the Manasseh sites were not able to occupy these towns from the Canaanites were determined to live in that region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected to the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. What does that mean? Okay, so they were fruitful. They are blessed. They have a lot of people group. They were called, oh, go back to the, the map. So they were allotted a huge portion because of their people group the promise. And they were called to rule over it. And if you remember the Old Testament Bible, when God says, go into the land, annihilate, destroy the Canaanite, there was the commander of the Lord's army before they went into war. And it was to show that God was ready to judge the land, meaning it wasn't just complete useless killing. He was to baptize, to cleanse the whole land. Because there were idolatry, worship that was happening, that God says, okay, it is time. He's going to um, judge. So he was using the Israelites to judge. And he's like, it's yours. I'm going to give it to you. You just have to take it. But they weren't strong enough to take their promised land. You understand? So they were supposed to go. They couldn't defeat them. So what did they do? If you can't beat them, join them. They kind of used that idea. Coexist. Drives me nuts. All those religions of the coexist is so anti-biblical because there's only one God. It's not all multiple religions that let's just, if you can't beat them, join them. This is the most unbiblical thing because that's exactly what the Israelites did. They were supposed to defeat the Canaanites. If you can't beat them, join them. So they coexisted, lived among them. And even when they became powerful enough, numerous enough to defeat the Canaanites, meaning as slaves, or cheap labor, servants. But that's not what they were supposed to do. And we know from the rest of the scripture, if you read the Old Testament, these Canaanites who lived in the land became thorns to their side, to their kids, to their generations after, in sin, idolatry, all those things. And what else? In an all-practical sense, warm bodies took up space in the real estate that these Israelites said, hey, we need more space. Because they were so numerous. So they go to the Lord. I mean, they go to Joshua and they complain. Uh, Joshua 17, 14. People of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Again, the blessing, right? If you are numerous, Joshua answered. And if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go to the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of Perizzites and Rephahites. Uh, the people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots, but those in Beth Shan and its settlements, and those in the valley of Jezreel. Where are they saying? Joshua's like, where the people of Joshua, Manasseh, Ephraim, we are a large group of people. We have a lot of people. Why did you give us only just one portion? And Joshua's response is, you are numerous. If one, this portion is not enough, I want you to take this portion, the hill country, the, the forest, clear the land. It's yours. Their immediate response is, we are numerous, but we can't take them because they got 
military power. Chariots, iron, uh, they got tanks. That's what they were saying. Okay. They make excuses of why they cannot take the land. And Joshua responds by saying, you are numerous and very powerful. We're at verse 17 and 18. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its furthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Sometimes we have leaders, we need leaders, who can tell us what we are capable of. We need leaders who can tell us, affirm us, but also have faith in us to empower us so that he calls us up to our destiny, to our identity, to our purpose, and to our inheritance. Do you understand? Sometimes we don't want to hear that. Because sometimes when we hear that, we have to think about those iron chariots, those tanks, that military warfare, the danger that we would place ourselves in by going up against them. But when the leader says, you can and you will because you are fully capable, we need to be called up to that. Do you understand? But sometimes when we're called up, we make excuses. We think about why we can't. And I want you to know that sometimes the faith of others empowers us than the faith of ourselves. Uh, I like to listen to some business leaders on the internet because I'm all, we always have to be learners, period. And not just biblically, but our career, family, we need to be learners. So if you're not learning, you're not constantly researching, you're learning, reading to empower yourselves, you should be. Uh, so for you know, so my self-interest, yeah, I'm a nerd. I, I just study everything. But in any case, there's a business leader that I, I was drawn to, and she was in sales. But I, I noticed that a lot of these great speakers, keynote speakers that you see in conferences, they talk about success, and they're invited because of their great success. But if you hear their stories, they weren't always successful. It was how they overcame their struggles in their early days that made them who they are today. And it's the inspiration of hearing those stories because it's like, because their early stories of their struggles is where we often are. And we were wondering, how do I overcome this? And that's where they inspire. And so uh, this one speaker, Sherry Levitin, if I say her name correctly, um, she does sales training and all these things. And she shared us one story how early in her career, she was doing okay. Not great, but okay just starting out in her career in her early 20s. And the manager took, saw her, took her, and he goes, hey, Sherry, come here. Let's have a meeting. So she went into the office. And then this manager said, Sherry, I think you've got something special going. you got something. If you work on your uh, training, the knowledge, just the, the, the ins and outs of this business, and if you ask really good questions and just strive to work a little bit harder, I think you can be number one in this country, not just in our office, the whole country. I think you can do it. So she's like, okay. So she did the extra work. She did this. Study. She asked a lot of questions. She, she worked a little bit harder to, to train and, and practice. And she did 
top three in the entire country. I forget what company, but big corporate Fortune 500 company, right? Presence club, recognition, promotion. Uh, she became management. And she went from sales to management, promotion, and then she sucked at it. And so she was like, what is going on? She is trying to motivate the, her team. She's trying to, but the numbers just wasn't there. So she goes to her old manager, right, her mentor. I'm struggling. Help me out. What, what do you do when you were here? And this manager says, well, this is what I do. I take out this new salesperson and take him to the office and say, I think you got something special going. If you just work a little bit harder, train a little bit more, you could be number one. She was like, you say that to other people? And he said, what difference does it make? Look at you. Look where you are. And she said, I had someone who believed in me more than I believed in myself. That enabled her. That empowered her. And that's in the secular business world. Do you understand? The culture of the resting place, our church, is that we honor everyone. We empower everyone. We have faith for everyone. Do you know why? Not because we just think you're good people. You got the Holy Spirit in you. If you are sons and daughters of the living God, if you proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and He is your Lord, He is your God, then He has given you the Holy Spirit. His Spirit, Spirit of God, the triune God, God's Spirit is in you. And you have the power and the authority from all of the scriptures that says you have the word, you have the power of God in you who has enabled you to prophesy. Some prophets speak to the dead, dry bones to come to We can have faith for you because what the Lord has done, and that is that he has given his Holy Spirit, his own spirit in you who enables you, who has empowered you. And the Great Commission is not just, hey, go. No, he has given you his authority, all, heaven, all authority in heaven and earth to fulfill the Great Commission that he has begun to start. Amen. And that's what our church is. That's who we are as the body of Christ. That's the biblical model, and that is if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are more than who you think you are. And it takes a great leader to have faith in you, to raise you up, to empower you, to say you have what it takes to your destiny, to your inheritance, to who you are as sons and daughters of the living God, heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that good news? So the Holy Spirit enables us, empowers us. Sometimes it takes a leader to say, you can do it, church. I believe in you. You may not want to hear it sometimes, but I have faith for you. We will take that risk and to see you step up to your destiny. That's who we are. You are numerous and very powerful. You will not only have one allotment, but the forest hills. Yeah, they got the chariots, though you, you can drive them out. That's what Joshua empowered them. And the history reveals. If the people of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim were the Marthas who got it done, we have to consider the, uh, the Marys 
And I find this very interesting. Look with me in Joshua 18. Joshua 18, 1. It says, The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control. Listen to the context. This is like they have gone through the battles. By 18, uh, Joshua is like over 100 years old. He's near his death. Like they're settled, okay? It says verse 2, But there were still seven Israelite tribes. How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to, to make a survey of the land and write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. Joshua is asking, how long will you wait before you take what's yours? How long will you wait before you take what has been already given that is yours by right? What are you waiting for? How many years have passed since all their wars and battles that they have, and they have subtext? And Joshua's like, what are you waiting for? They got a little too comfortable, maybe. Or maybe, uh, you know, I was really trying to ponder why they, were, they felt so settled. Maybe after all those battles, they didn't want to do any more. Or the newness of going into a new country, you know, it's kind of like you go to a new place, it's like excited, but then it's like, oh, I'm, I'm okay now. Maybe. Whatever it is, they became complacent, settled. They didn't feel like they need to go out to get that land to receive their inheritance. They were happy where they were. And Joshua was like, uh-uh. So he commissioned three surveyors, spies, to go. If you remember, this is sort of like Moses sending out the 12 spies. Go, see if the land is indeed flowing with milk and then bring back the fruit and tell us what you find, right? Because the reconnaissance. Well, here, they have conquered the land. It's theirs for the taking. Yeah, there are some settlers there, but they know the time has come where, because if you know the context, these Canaanites who are living there, the reputation of the Israelites already conquering, they, their hearts are melted, they are already defeated, and they know it's only a matter of time. That's the context here. And yet they still haven't taken it. So Joshua's like, okay, send three surveyors, not reconnaissance spies, surveyors to go to document, document the land, the setting, and what was he really doing? They want the surveyors to taste and see that the land is good. They wanted them to go out and do some window shopping of their future home. How many of you guys go window shopping? <laughs> hey, I see some laughter. So oh, that's good. You know what? Um, I was thinking about this. You know what's the worst time to shop? when you don't have any money. <laughs> you go window shop, and it's almost as if the whole store is laughing at you. It's like, ooh, I want that. He goes, you can't have me because you're broke. You find something else, it's like, ooh, I, nope. Ha ha, you can't have me. And it's like the worst feeling because the whole store is like, you can't have me. So even though you want it, you can't have it. On the other hand, what if you had money? And you're like, I can buy the whole story if I want to. It's a good feeling. I don't, I've never had it, but I, I could only imagine. Make it better. What if you went to your favorite store and somebody said, pick whatever you want. It's yours. I'll pay for it. It's free. 
What, what if that happened? Ooh, right? Wouldn't it feel good to just go and pick whatever you want because you know where your heart is, you know what you like? And that's sort of like gift giving, right? This past Christmas, when, when we shop for our beloved ones, do you shop, oh, this is what I want to give to them? Or is it, you imagine, what would he want? What would she want? And then I want to give them exactly what they want because when they open that up, you get to see that face of joy. It's like, that's what I want. That's my dream come true. And that's kind of what we think about when we are gift giving. So when Joshua commissioned by God, sends these surveyors out, it's like, taste and see. Do some window shopping. Find out what you want, because I want you to get excited for what I am ready to give to you. I want, you to, I want to see what you want, because I want to give you the desires of your heart. That's our God. That's our Father who says, man, I love you. I want to give you what you want. I want you to see, taste, like your future house that you're going to build. And some of you guys did that when you guys were just shopping around. You can envision your future of your family that you're going to grow in or that future plot you're going to build your house, but the house of your next generation. That's the vision of tomorrow, your heart. And I love that you guys share with me your stories of your heart, and that's exactly what God's doing here. It takes a leader to call us up to our destiny. Because sometimes we are too complacent. Sometimes we have bought the lies of our local Canaanites that we have coexisted with, who has influenced us, who has spoken lies to us of how the world operates. We have bought the lie and we have settled for less than what God wants. The call of the church is not for you to be so comfortable that it becomes a good social club and we are nestled and we just grow and we have bigger potluck dinners. That's not who we are. That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is not just about the pastors, but it's all about the community calling each other up to our destiny, to our inheritance, to the purpose of God has in store for us. Some of us are Martha's. We will go and we will ask God, I want more. And God says, good, I will give it to you. But some of us are like, oh, we're settled. No, and then take someone else to say, what are you waiting for? When are you going to get up and attain what you're made for, what you were born for? I, and I can tell you, you guys were not born to be average. You were not born to be just like the rest of the world. You are called to be light, source to the dark world, to show, to, to reveal something that they don't know. You guys with me? Yeah. You know, as a pastor, I... Sometimes I have conversations, and, and we have to be delicate at times because if I offend someone, then they might leave. And if they leave, then I lose all opportunity to disciple them. You guys understand? And, and this culture has really made it harder because when people come to church, or when, even when we establish a church, as we did, the first 
few months, people are thinking, is he going to be my pastor? Even though people may call me a pastor, they're not really seeing me as their spiritual leader. Do you guys understand? They were testing me, just interviewing me every weekend to see, hmm, <laughs> does he have what it takes to be my spiritual leader? No, this is, this is naturally what's happening in our culture. Back in the early days when there was only one church for the entire community, you had no choice. They were the pastor, <laughs> right? But we got this free will and free market, and we got churches around the corners and every block, right? And people church shop. So it has made it very difficult. And of course, the fallen pastors make it really difficult because of the credibility of the pastor. So, man, our job is hard enough as is. But it just got harder. You guys understand? So when I'm talking with people, I find myself, well, have you considered this? And then let them respond and act. But if they don't move on that idea, you really should do this. And if they don't act on that, then it's, hmm, what are you waiting for? What is keeping you? Like, we go through stages of consider. You should do it. Do it. You're still not doing it. And it, like, I want to pull out my hair sometimes. But then I realize they don't know what they don't know. Oh, so many times I've talked to, Sarah and I have tried to disciple people, talk to them about their life issues, their choices, they're at the crossroad. And they don't know what they don't know. You guys don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know. But there are others who know more than you. That's why we ought to be learners. That's why we need to be humble. We need to be able to listen to what others have to say. We need the church to be the body of Christ, to be family, to say, I care about you, and I, I have a word for you, where I, I see this, and I think you're far more capable, you know, I see you, you're beautiful, and I think there's someone better for you, you know? So we need that. Daughters, sons, you, you know what I'm talking about. We want the best for you. We don't want to cheapen you. We don't want to give you away for something less than your full potential. Because we love you, we want to speak you up to your destiny, to your destination. I think we have to realize if we have been Mary's in our life, we just have to recognize it. I can't, I don't know, because I don't know many of you guys in, the, in depth, in the past progressions to where you are. So, I mean, if you're five years ago, it looks like today, then maybe you might be a Mary. If you have been growing, you've been progressing, and there is a, then you might be a Martha. Right? So it, it really depends on your personality of where you are. So I, I don't know that. But I do know that God speaks to us to challenge us sometimes, to make us uncomfortable. And that uncomfortableness, we can fight or flight, right? We could embrace it or fight against it. And that's often our reaction. I remember I, it was like four years after I was born again. I was still young 20s, doing my thing, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and then, you know. And God was just saying, son, when are you going to grow up? 
<laughs> and, this, and think about this. I was not doing anything in the church. I wasn't serving. I wasn't learning. I was just Sunday visitor. I loved the Lord. I, I said that. But I didn't know I could hear him. And God spoke to me. He goes, son, when are you going to grow up? You have been saying follower for four years, but you're still a baby. I didn't like hearing that. You ever like told a 20-something, you're still a baby? Oh, yeah, pride. <laughs> I didn't like hearing that, but I knew that was the truth. I didn't know I was hearing God, but I knew in my mind that was the truth. And it set my attitude like, is there something that I'm missing? Our call, our mission of the resting place, for the lost found, found free, for peace to reign. If there is no peace in your household, there is no peace in your workplace, there is no peace in our city, and there is a lot of brokenness, then there is room for God to move in our midst. We need the lost found. We need the found free. Just because you've been growing to church for all your life doesn't mean you are free. I've been a pastor of some churches, and I wasn't even free. I, and that's my confession. Yeah. I'm still learning how to be free, and that's my confession. That's why I want to create a culture where we are free to worship God in the expressions and performs and, and is so unique to her. That's not me. But I want to give that freedom. You guys understand? I want to give you the freedom to be who you are. You be you, boo. I, I love that. You be you. <laughs> you be you. As long as you are worshiping God to giving your heart in the fullest, in the excellence that honors our Lord. We were not born to be average. There are seasons where we are called to sit at the Lord's feet. But there are seasons where God commissions us and goes, what are you waiting for? There is your destiny. There's your inheritance. You are called to feed it for you. He says, I want you to go and take it. You can be a Mary who can still go and get it. He's not trying to change your identity, but there is a destiny. Sometimes he says, I need you to step up and go and receive what is yours. Because you are powerful. You can do it because you are my son, you are my daughter, and you have what it takes. And I'm telling you, that's who you are. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.